Hi, this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and welcome to the top nine most popular Breaking Money Silence podcasts of all time. Today, I'm going to replay number two, an interview with a friend and colleague of mine, Manisha Takor. She is a nationally renowned financial literacy advocate for women, and she is the founder of Money Zen. She has earned her MBA from Harvard Business School and a BA from Wellesley College and does lots of cool, interesting work. And in this original episode, we answered the question, will more money make life better? What do you think? Tune in and find out. Your true happiness comes when the way you spend your time and the way you spend your money are in direct alignment with what matters most to you. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. I am really excited to be joined today by Manisha Takor. She is a friend and colleague of mine. She also happens to be a nationally renowned financial literacy advocate for women. She's the vice president of financial well-being at the Seattle-based wealth management firm Brighton Jones and the host of a podcast called True Wealth Podcast. Her mission is to help clients live a richer life, literally and figuratively, and she is here today to kick off the Breaking Money Silence Women, Money, and Power series. Welcome, Manisha. Kathleen, thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to delve into this myth today and talk a little bit about uh, women and money and power and some of the beliefs that we might have that either serve us or get in the way. So why don't you tell the listeners what your money myth is that we're going to work it busting wide open? So my myth is more money makes life better. It doesn't? I I know, right? <laughs> like, that, that, like, it's a... And I can say that from somebody, I'm turning 50 next year, and I feel like I have spent 49 of those years chasing after more money. And it certainly, and in many ways, uh, it has made my life better. It's given me a voice and choices, and that's why I'm such a proponent for financial literacy advocacy for women of all ages, incomes, and backgrounds. But you can take it too far, and I feel like I'm exhibit A right now of having taken it too far. And there's a point at which money quite literally, like you tip over um, a certain level. And at that point, it's not making life better. Huh. So tell us a little bit about your personal story and how that ties into this myth. So I am currently dealing with some pretty serious health issues that nobody can quite identify. I have severely high inflammation rates as I'm doing this right now. The inflammation is measured by something called a SED rate. And 
a said rate of a normal person is between zero and 20 and over 100 indicates malignancy or tumor. And my said rate is 96. Ooh. So there's something not good going on with my body. And as we've been trying to unpeel this onion and figure out what it's been, it appears that a lot of it is just, I've been living what one of the doctors called, you've been living hot. In other words, I have put work front and center of my entire life. And, you know, you text me at 10 p.m., I get back to you at 10.15. And it's just, it's taken a toll on my body and my life. And it was as if my meter for what is enough was completely broken. And I, ironically, I'm not one of those people that love stuff. I hate shopping, but I just kept wanting to earn more and more money. And so in my case, uh, you, you mentioned that the podcast that I host is called True Wealth. When we spell it W-E-L-L-T-H, I feel like I've gone into health, H-E-L-L-T-H. Oh. Um, so that, that's what I, what I mean when I say that more money doesn't always make life better. Well, there are many other aspects of it, but that's the, the personal one that made me pick that myth. Sure, sure. And when just, you know, in, in terms of where do you think people learn that message? Like, where did you learn that if you just keep earning and earning and earning, somehow life is going to get better? So I'm of mixed race. I'm, I'm half Indian. Um, my mom, uh, on my dad's side, my mom is from upstate New York. And, you know, my dad came here from India with a hundred bucks and a suitcase and has, you know, so I grew up with this profound sense of gratitude for having the opportunity to live in America and not be a woman in a village in rural India married off at age 12 to a six-year-old man. And growing up, we used to go to India every other summer. And the poverty was just mind-boggling because, of course, this was before the economic reforms. And so the part of it was just this deep sense of obligation. Like, I won the genetic lottery. I am growing up in America. And the American dream is you can be anything you want. So I, I need to take full advantage of that. And then part of it was I didn't fit in when I was growing up. I grew up in a small town in Indiana where, you know, cheerleaders and football players ruled. And I was like the chubby kid that wasn't white, but it just, no one could, I was just an outlier. I just, and what I realized is I didn't want to feel like that ever again in, in my life. And I read Virginia Woolf's book, a room of one's own in which she talks about the, the, one of the passages talks about the power of having space and money of your own. And that has just always really driven me this thought of I don't want to feel the crappy way I felt the entire time I was growing up. I want to be able to remove myself from situations that don't make me happy, whether it's a job or it's a marriage, both of which I have removed myself from and money helped me do it. So it's those two combinations of factors, um, which I don't think either of them are bad, but when taken to excess, take quite a toll on your personal life and happiness. Well, and I think you raise a really good point in that, you know, whatever our family money messages are or whatever we grew up with in terms of our thoughts around money, it isn't good or bad. It it sounds like it was very well intended how it started for you and how it just started to take on a life of its own. And so when we think about more money will make life better, you know, what are the ways in which you think it might serve people or serve you 
And, and what are the ways in which you think this particular myth really gets in the way? So the the serving is really clear. I mean, I just feel that when women are standing and living from a place of financial strength, the creativity, the opportunities, the ability to make significant changes in the world just grows exponentially. And conversely, when you are in a place where you're stressed out about money, which can happen even if you're earning, you know, $500,000 a year or $1.5 million a year, because if you're spending more than you're earning, it's a really stressful place. And so when you have your finances in, in order, it just gives women so many options. So I love money from that, that standpoint. But the flip side is I've, I've also worked for two self-made billionaires over the course of my career. I started off on the institutional side of the business, and they're both extremely wonderful human beings. But one of the things I noticed when you hit that kind of wealth level is you, suddenly you don't know why people want to be around you. And the requests for money philanthropically were nonstop. But then also other requests started coming in from extended family members. And I mean, it, you, you think it'd be great to be a billionaire, but having seen it up close, it doesn't look so great to me. There's an awful lot to, to manage with that. And then there's also a sense of responsibility. How do I want to give back with all of this wealth? And so that's what's given me, I think, the uh, being the help <laughs> to uh, two billionaires has helped me see that that whole private plane, 24-7 living staff kind of life doesn't make it, doesn't guarantee you a perfect, happy life either. And, and what's so interesting is in some ways it's kind of what... I don't want to say the American dream, but there is a way in which, you know, we always think, oh, if I was just wealthy, if I was just this, and that it's, it's first of all, managing the wealth is complex. Second of all, it, all the requests, I've heard that before from other people who are very affluent or people who are new to affluence that have families that aren't affluent, all those requests, charitable from families. It, so there's a lot of stress involved. And I think for you, and I am going to broaden this conversation out for other people, is that when you get to the level where you're just pursuing more and more money, uh, for some that's workaholism, ultimately it really does get in the way of your health. For you, currently getting in the way of your health, and I'm really happy you're getting some help and support and figuring that out. Um, but what have you seen with other people, whether they've been uh, financial advising clients of yours or coworkers of yours? So, I mean, it, it runs the gamut. I am a classic workaholic. And in some sense, you know, in the financial services industry, you, you, um, I remember, uh, I did my MBA at Harvard Business School. And I, I remember people kind of talking and saying, you know, there, there are two numbers that matter. And it's you know, how much, how much you make. And you also got a badge of honor for how many hours you were putting in. And this was early on in the, you know, internet-y era and bowing down to the, the, the gods of those two numbers, hours worked and money earned and accumulated was kind of a given amongst a certain population. And I have a hunch many of the women listening who are smart, breadwinning entrepreneurs and, and corporate executives and 
hard charging folks may identify with me in this, that I just, I got in the habit of workaholism and it was like an addiction to be, or for me, it still is. I'm trying to unravel that. And what I hear from women is, A, there's a downside in that there's you know sadness that they've missed events with their children, with extended family members, with spouses. I've, I've heard women tell me, you know, they've lost friendships because their friends have just given up on them because they're always busy. And then I've also heard the frustration that is the flip side of women becoming increasingly co and primary breadwinners, which is this, you know, I have a number of friends who are the sole working person in their households and the husbands are stay at home taking care of the kids. But really, my friends are taking care of the kids while earning the money and sorting out everything, the play dates and, and the nanny. And, you know, she's like, why do we need a nanny? Like you're staying at home. And um, <laughs> so like, a well, nanny I, for the husband and the kids. Right. Right. Yes. He's like, well, I need a, I need a, a, a babysitter when I go to tennis. And, you know, she's like, when they're your own kids, it's not called babysitting. So, <laughs> you know, it's these kinds of things that I'm, that I am seeing. Now let's take a short break. I am so excited to tell you about my new online course, Negotiating Your Fees with Confidence. If you are someone who avoids talking about money with your clients at all costs, this online course is for you. You will learn the skills to master your negotiation mindset so you can clearly and confidently communicate your fees to your prospects, your clients, and your colleagues. You will walk away with five steps to become a better negotiator. And at the completion of this online course, you'll have an opportunity to do a one-on-one coaching session with me. So I hope you sign up for negotiating your fees with confidence. Simply go to breakingmoneysilence.com backslash negotiating and sign up today. Let's get back to the episode. Well, you know, I just read an article the other day about the fact that they've done some research on female breadwinners and found that the burnout rate is actually very, very high. Um, for similar reasons. And not to say that men who are primary breadwinners don't have some of the same stressors, but they don't tend to also feel very responsible uh, for all the relationships in the family and outside of the family and the social events. And and there's just that, I think, that ambivalence still about what our role is and, and what changes or what doesn't change when there's a female breadwinner versus uh, a breadwinner that happens to be a man. Uh, so it sounds like you see that in some of uh, your relationships and some of what you have experienced. So the question really for me and, and probably for the listeners who are listening that either identify or have a, a friend or a colleague that's like this is how do you go about finding balance? How do you balance and become financially well which I imagine includes being financially literate and financially stable, but also not unhealthy. What have you learned so far that you can share with us? So the algorithm, <laughs> I feel like I need to put things in financial frameworks in order to, to uh, find personal happiness that I'm using is your true happiness comes when the way you spend your time and the way you spend your money are indirect alignment with what matters most to you. And time and money are limited resources for all of us. And directing them over the 
the limited number of years we have on this planet to anything other than the stuff we care most about doesn't feel joyful. And sometimes you have to do it, right? In early parts of your career, you've got to pay your dues. But you reach a tipping point in your career where you've spent so much emphasis on the the time and money to build your career and wealth that you often lose connection with what matters most. And certainly in my case, and in many of the clients that, that we work with at Brighton Jones, that will say the most valuable part of an advisory relationship, honestly, is having somebody remind them that this is all of this stuff happens so you can focus on what's meaningful to you in life. And let's help you figure that out because you may have lost sense of that along along the way. I know I certainly did. Well, I was just talking with a young person that I mentor. And one of the things she was saying is that she, you know, the uh, the house she just bought was expensive and the Um, you know, she has a long distance relationship and that's expensive and she's working, you know, 14, 15 hour days and she's totally burnt out, but she feels like she can't stop. And so how does somebody stop doing this or, or do you have tips on how to kind of, I know it's identifying your values is what you're saying, but how do you identify your values and then start to kind of, I don't know, do the do the downshifting. It's almost like you're driving a car and you're in fifth gear. And I love going fast, but I, I feel <laughs> I feel like I've downshifted in my life when I moved to Vermont. And I'm, you know, looking at am I going to downshift again? But but for someone who's in the fast lane, like you've been and like other people and like this person I'm mentoring, how do you downshift? I have two tools that I recommend to people. One is a book by a financial advisor, Michael Kay, and it's the called The Feel Rich Project. And it's just a wonderful book written by somebody who spent their entire career as a financial advisor, but there are no numbers in it. It's all about these really deep, meaty questions that you can ask yourself when you have a lost touch with who you want to be and um, sometimes even with who you are right now. And I find that the exercises, I like to go back to the book every couple of years just because the exercises are so um, thought-provoking. The other tool that I encourage people to do, there's a book written by Julia Cameron. Um, A lot of artists and creative types um, are deep disciples of hers. And she helps people uh, unlock their creativity. But what happened is so many business people started picking up this book that she... Her first book was called The Artist's Way, and now she has a book that's become cult-like called The Artist's Way at Work. And it it is just divine. The basic prescriptions from it are every morning you do three pages of stream of conscious journaling on on paper, and then you rip it up. And once a week, you commit to a 30-minute artist date with yourself where you go out and you do something that you've never done before. And it can be as basic as walking through a store that you've never walked through or walking through a different aisle in the bookstore than you normally do. And then the third thing is that you go take a 30-minute walk once a week with no music, no nothing. You just look around. And that is another magic formula for figuring this out. And so... Those are the two tools that I have found to be most effective with people. 
Great. I, I actually know Michael Kay. He's a great guy and a great author, and I know the book you're talking about. Um, so we'll definitely put that in the link. And I, I'm familiar with The Artist's Way, but I didn't know about The Artist's Way at work. And so that sounds wonderful. I love the idea personally of doing the three pages of writing, being an author and somebody who writes a lot to deal with things, and then ripping it up. The ripping yes. it up part seems very freeing. <laughs> It's beautiful. And I call it removing um, the pond scum from my brain. And inevitably what happens is at some point during the process over a month of doing it, like some amazing ideas will come to me about what really matters in life, what really makes me happy. And the rest of it is you're getting rid of because you're not trying to write neatly or organize anything. You're literally just spewing. And if you have nothing to say, you just write, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. Or I hate my boss. I hate my boss, you know, and and then stuff bubbles out of you once you get those top layers out on the paper. I love that. I love those suggestions. I love that you are taking care of yourself and that we're getting a little bit of an inside um, tip, because certainly you can look at your bio and go, wow, you know, a lot of people have it all together. And Manish is one of those people. And it, it's that you're just a real person who is trying to do the best you can. And and so with this personal money myth, uh, and one that I know a lot of people identify with, that more money makes life better, how would you reframe it as we think about leaving our guests with some additional thoughts about instead of shooting for more money will make life better, what should we be saying to ourselves? Money is a powerful tool that you can use to act on the things in life that bring you the most meaning for yourself and for the community at large. And it's, so it's framing it as a, as a, as a tool. It's not about more. It's about using it strategically to enhance meaning, however you define that. So almost strategically using money makes life better. Yeah. Yeah. Strategically using consciously, mindfully. I think I prefer those words better than I want it to be a more soul level reframe. So it's consciously, mindfully, joyfully using your money in support of the things that bring you true meaning in life. I love and that. And that can be, yeah, anything from getting your, uh, getting a pedicure to, to having time to do volunteer work, to sending your kids or your grandkids to college, to setting up a foundation. You know, you get to decide what meaning is. Well, that mindful and living in choice, and I have to just share because we're doing this uh, virtually that I have beautiful new manicure, so I did my my work today. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a a little bit about your uh, podcast. I know you've had a lot of different accomplishments. I know you're really passionate about uh, the True Wealth podcast, so I want you to give uh, the listeners just a little inside view as to to what that's about uh, and where they can find out more about you. Kathleen, thank you so much for asking me that because uh, in my 25 years in the industry, this is the professional project that I am the most engaged and excited about. And the idea behind the podcast is that after years of managing money for people who have a lot of money, our firm at Brighton Jones, we noticed there was not an equivalent amount of of happiness as there was money. And so the idea is to explore what true wealth, W-E-L-L-T-H, would look like and defining wealth as a 
appropriate balance for you between social, emotional, physical, and financial well-being. And so I'm interviewing experts from all four of these disciplines to help identify tiny tweaks or radical reboots that we can all use to shift our time, money, meaning equation towards meaning. And it's been amazing, the nuggets that uh, I've picked up and the feedback that I've gotten from listeners in terms of how something seemingly small um, has had a dramatic impact on their lives. And just give an example, Laura Vanderkam, who is a, a time management expert, was sharing her insight that when you say, I don't have time, which so many of us do, what you're really saying is it's not a priority. And that so many people have told me has been so freeing when they when they see that trigger, I don't have time. They stop and think like, is this something that brings meaning to me and therefore I should create time? Or is this really one of those things that should just go on those morning pages and get ripped up and thrown out? I'm going to use that one as well. So where can we find out more about you, Manisha? My personal home base is moneyzen.com. And I, my life is all intertwined. So if you're interested in listening to the podcast, you can find information there. If you're interested in being on my Money Zen um, newsletter, which I'm not selling anything, I just like to share great information. You can find out about it there. And I uh, have a lot of um, fun updating the resource section when I come across great books like Breaking Money Silence. Thank um, you. And so I, it, Try when people are asking how to get on top of their financial lives from a variety of different angles. I love curating that resource page. So you can take a look there and uh, you'll see Kathleen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's always so great to break money silence with you. And I'm really glad that you are um, not only busting this myth uh, in terms of this podcast, but also busting this myth and really taking care of yourself and moving towards greater health and helping all of us do that at the same time. So continued uh, wellness and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Kathleen. If you've enjoyed this conversation, stay tuned because we're doing a whole series on women, money, and power. Uh, definitely subscribe to Breaking Money Silence on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you have a question or a guest suggestion, feel free to email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.